this week on Two-Faced Wrestling Talk. The G1 is in full swing, and some of the heavily anticipated matches have lived up to the billing, and the tournament has been loaded with some early surprises. We will break it all down. We were also at Fight for the Fallen in Jacksonville, and we'll share our thoughts on the show. We look ahead to a big weekend of shows in Ring of Honor, and, to the surprise of many, WWE's pay-per-view Extreme Rules delivered a knockout performance. We will talk about that and what our surprise matches of the show were. Paul joins me remotely from the site of Extreme Rules, Philadelphia, as he is off on a work assignment. But he is ready to get extreme on Two-Face Wrestling Talk, next! WrestlingInc.com brings you Two-Faced Wrestling Talk, the podcast that goes beyond WWE and goes in-depth on NJPW, AEW, ROH, PWG, and more. Also featuring fun pop culture and wrestling crossovers, listener Q&As, and extended discussions about wrestling topics past, present, and future. Now, here's your host, Kelsey. Hi, and welcome to Two-Face Wrestling Talk. I'm joined, although remotely, as usual, by my co-host, Paul. Yes, I am uh, in Philadelphia on a work assignment. I had hoped to have a big Tony Luke's cheesesteak in my hand as we did the podcast, but a nightmarish day of travel. I ended up having to settle for a lean pocket from Walmart, so not exactly a good start to the business trip. (laughs) No, but it's funny that you're in the same place that Extreme Rules was just in. Yeah, I wish, we had been, cool. I wish we had been at that show together because that was a uh, fantastic show that we'll be talking about a little later in the podcast. But before we get to that, of course, we got to thank our great po- partners and sponsors from WrestlingTravel.org. We uh, love their support. Yes, we're really happy to be partnered with them. Very, very proud to be supported by them for sure. Please, guys, if you love us, show that support by supporting our sponsors because that's the only way they can continue to support us. So please go to wrestlingtravel.org and they've got great travel packages that really work for all kinds of people in the U.S. or in the U.K. That's the great thing about it. They've got packages no matter where you live and it can get you to the event that you've been dying to go to, like All Out. Or if you're more of a WWE person, Royal Rumble. You could also find them on social media at Wrestling Travel. Yeah, I mean, you may think it's too late to think about going to All Out, but there's still plenty of time to book a a trip through WrestlingTravel.org and uh, they've got great deals to get you to All Out. Of course, All Out is the next big show for AEW. Their last show we were at in Jacksonville uh, was Fight for the Fallen. And what were your thoughts on the show itself? You know, I thought it was a decent show. I didn't like it as much as Fighter Fest or Double or Nothing. And definitely not as much as All In. But it it was a B, I would say. I actually liked it even less than, you know, some other shows like i actually liked extreme rules a little bit better actually which is crazy yeah i was hoping you were gonna save that little nugget which is was almost heart attack inducing when you said that after extreme rules that you thought it was better than the AEW show i i thought maybe uh somebody had switched out kelsey to her bizarro kelsey when i heard that but yeah the AEW show i thought it was a good show there was nothing wrong with it i i a couple things logistically bothered me first of all the venue in jacksonville while it was very nice venue that 
that venue was better suited for a show in March and October, not in the dead of summer in Florida. It was, it's an outdoor venue with a roof and they're reliant on the breeze and the fans. Well, it, by the end of the show, it was so oppressive and muggy in there. And you couple that with, for some reason, they started the show at 7.30 local time when it was the weekend, and they could have started at 6.30, and there was just no energy at the end of the show between the heat and the length of the show. And, I, you know, our friend Mike Holt, who went to the show with us, he even kind of sensed that, too, and it was his first AEW show. So uh, I think logistically they didn't do themselves any favors because really, and we'll get to it here in a second, the Rhodes-Bucks match was really good, but that crowd was dead. I was actually going to shoot a video at one point, there was silence in there, and Nick Jackson's trying to get the crowd going. Um, so logistically, I don't think it was really well done. Yeah, I definitely think it was kind of silent in there during that match, and that's unfortunate because to me that was my favorite match of the night. I also liked Kenny versus Shima, but I know you weren't as big of a fan of that match as me. And then some of the lower card matches were good too, but you know, I just think... It was really, really hot, and the show was really long. I was tired afterwards. So I think that got to everybody. I see our, our dog, Jackson, has uh, joined you over your right shoulder for the podcast. We'll see if uh, he's got any thoughts about his namesakes, the Jacksons, uh, later in the show. Uh, let's talk a little bit about some of the undercard matches. I think the match I was most looking forward to, or one of them, was the uh, Spears-MJF-Guevara against Alan Havoc and Janela. And a couple things you pointed out during the match were that you didn't think Guevara was getting enough of a reaction, either pro or con. And they they didn't do Jimmy Havoc any favors again with this booking. Yeah, you know, I I really think that Sammy is so good. He should be getting a reaction. I don't care if it's loud booze, but he should be getting some reaction. Instead, he gets kind of like a lukewarm reaction a nonchalant reaction which i hate because if you watch pwg they're really against him they hate him and it's awesome (laughs) and he really embraces that so to me it's like i wish he was kind of over like he is in pwg as a really good heel but it doesn't help that you know you're working in the ring with mjf and the same match and mjf is kind of like the monster heel so again they haven't really built up sammy by himself very much yet and, and havoc as far as that goes, you know, he is amazing. And a lot of people just don't know what he has to offer because AEW hasn't really shined the solo spotlight on him yet. So hopefully soon they will, because when he's again, when he's in a match with Darby and Darby's super over after that Cody match, how is Havoc going to get any of a highlight at all? And also Janela, who had that great main event at Fighter Fest, it's just not doing Havoc any favors by being partnered with them. And he just seems like the third wheel. Yeah. And hopefully he's going to get a chance to shine once TV gets going and, you know, they're going to have to expand to a two hour show on a weekly basis. Hopefully that's where guys like him will start to get a chance to uh, really show what they're made of. You, you brought up a good point on Darby Allen. The Cody match did wonders for him because I think a lot of people probably didn't know a lot about him. He was so over with the crowd in Jacksonville. And MJF, 
that one of my biggest disappointments of the show was that they didn't put him on the microphone at all because I had told our buddy how great he was on the mic, that he was a great monster heel, but he did some great heel stuff. I love the one point where he does the cartwheel and flashes the 10 at Sean Spears and then flips him off. I thought that was hilarious. Yeah, that was some good stuff by MJF. He's he's a, an amazing heel for sure. You know, I really like him. But, you know, someone who's also, I think, equally as over as MJF and Allen is Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy. They were really over, too, almost more over than everybody else in, in the match that they were in later in the night. So to me, it's like they're building some people up with being the elite, but others they need to start concentrating on very soon. Yeah, well, that was the next match I was going to get to, actually. It was crazy. Luchasaurus was so over with the crowd. I would say he was the most over person in that entire show with that Jacksonville crowd, which was crazy to me. Um, but, you know, we also got a chance to see a Dark Order, which you, you've been preaching to people. Wait till you see these guys. And I even wrote down at one point, they better let Dark Order do their stuff soon because the crowd isn't reacting. And finally, towards the end of the match, we got to see what they did when they were the Super Smash Brothers. And they're a tremendous team, uh, but they've they got to get more. They got to do more because, you know, so many people are kind of down on them. Lots of people. In fact, you know, Raj, fellow person from wrestling inc the owner of wrestling inc said that you know he isn't embarrassed about luchasaurus and jungle boy but is embarrassed about dark order like that's one of those teams that he would be embarrassed to show people i think that is a crazy statement but i understand it because they haven't had a chance to really show what they do even with this match i feel like it was still not enough to grab those casual fans and to make them understand what the super smash brothers which is their formal former name that they used to go by what they were really known for doing and that just hasn't shined through yet you see glimpses of it in this match that they just had but it wasn't full on what they used to do still dark order did get a chance to do some great stuff at the end with the double flip and the flip stunner off the top of the rope at the end of the match after that was a uh, hangman page and kip sabian and uh i was you know i was a little leery, I even tweeted this out because I got sucked in on the Santana thing the week before at Impact being there live. But there was no doubt that Hangman Page, when he did the kip up, looked like he had hurt himself. And there was no reason to sell that. So hopefully that's not anything major down the road. I think it was just one of those deals where he maybe tweaked it a little bit and, and maybe it worried him a little bit. But luckily... I don't think it's a big deal, hopefully, but he's not getting a lot of pop either. And so as we, we look ahead all out, and it's something we're going to talk about, obviously, going up to it, who's the better person to put the belt on? Is it Chris Jericho, 50-year-old Chris Jericho? Do you want to start AEW with that? Or do you want to start with Hangman Page, who isn't getting the reaction he used to get when he was uh, you know, featured on Being the Elite back in Ring of Honor? You know, at first I was really thinking it should definitely be Hangman Page, but now I'm second-guessing that because he's just not connecting with the larger audience, the larger crowd. So to me, it's like, man, should it be Jericho? Um, that It's crazy that I'm thinking that way because I really was hoping that the match with with Jericho would kind of put 
Page over and make him a made man in AEW, and it would be his first big title, and he'd get really, really over. However, I just I'm not seeing that connection. And it's funny because it was there in Ring of Honor. He had this great feud with Kazarian. They like had all these belt matches, at least one mm-hmm. belt, belt match. Which were fantastic. I really think that got him over with the Ring of Honor crowd because wrestling is so important. You know, the matches he's had have been not really uh, kind of not really the old school Adam Page that I remember from Ring of Honor. He's got to do some more athletic stuff. He's got to show what made everyone a fan of him in the first place besides, you know, outside of being the elite. Yes. Being the elite helped him a lot to get over while he was in ring of honor and being associated with bullet club and stuff. But I think that his athleticism also grabbed people in. So he's got to let that shine more. Um, we got to have some crazy matches like he did back in our way. I thought, uh, in this match in particular, I, I thought Kip Sabian did one. Uh, uh, Sabian did one of the funniest things uh, when the crowd got the guy in the crowd was getting in his face. He leaned over and kissed the guy. I thought that was hilarious. And the other thing that stood out to me after uh, Page hits the finner, finisher on Sabian to win, uh, Jericho, who is already billed as appearing, comes out in a mask. And I thought, what is the point of that? We already know Jericho's on the show. Why didn't he just come out? as Jericho and attack him. <laughs> yeah, I really thought that that was a an odd choice for yeah. sure because uh and then later he appears without the mask. Right. It's very very strange that they did that. I'm sure that's Jericho's decision, you know, I don't know. And then I also heard a press conference where Jericho said that was his first non-scripted promo in 20 years. So He's telling us that his promos leading up to his Kenny Omega and Naito matches were scripted. I yeah. might, I, I don't believe that because he was really raw and he was cursing and he was saying how much he loved it. I feel like he's just trying to tout AEW, how revolution, like revolutionary they are by letting people just cut promos on their own. I just, I really think that he had almost full reign with those New Japan promos just as much as he did as he claimed fight for the fallen so i don't know i mean i'm not saying that he's lying i'm just saying like he had to have a lot of freedom with those new japan promos especially there was this long one it's not like a traditional promo but it was like an interview between him and kenny omega that they put up on their youtube it was really long and and jericho just let loose also like their, 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 their press conference leading into their match like jericho just lost it and he was throwing tables and stuff like that wasn't completely scripted like he was cursing left and right it just was very raw so to me i think that was not fully scripted yeah i agree um so we'll uh we'll see but you know if if he's gonna be unscripted that's great but uh i i mean i think some of his new japan stuff which was clearly unscripted was great too. So I'm not sure I'm buying that either. Uh, next match was one of the ones I was really looking forward to and ended up being very kind of disappointed in was SCU and the Lucha brothers. Uh, you had, you stepped out for the first part of the match and you, I told you, you literally missed nothing. Cause there was five minutes of posturing that was ridiculous. In fact, in my notes, I just put WTF wrestle exclamation points so <laughs> i was not real happy with the that match at all but at the end i liked that the lucha brothers challenged the young bucks at all out to a ladder match can't wait to see that that was really the most exciting part of the match for me and that wasn't even in the match that was like the <laughs> post-match shenanigans so yeah i'm really excited about the ladder match boy is that going to be good 
it's going to be insane. Like, you know how much we love the Bucks Hardy's ladder match from Ring of Honor, Supercard of Honor, who were there live in person in Orlando. And it was one of my favorite matches of all time. So I just, I think that maybe this Lucha Brothers match might be even crazier than the Hardy's Bucks match because, you know, the Lucha Brothers are a little bit younger than the Hardy's. So I think they might even try to go even further than the Hardy's and Bucks did. So. Moving on, Omega and Shima. And you said I didn't like this match. It wasn't that I didn't like it. It just, I want to see something else besides the the knee, driving knees from Shima. It seemed like that was, I I used the expression one trick pony, but that basically was it. Now, the one he did off the stage to Omega was awesome. And also the reversal that Omega did on Shima when he caught him in that knee attempt and did the Snapdragon 2V triggers. Awesome stuff. I thought it was a really solid match. I just would like to see Shima have some other move besides the the knee drive. It would be interesting to hear what your friend Michael thought of Kenny Omega, because I told him before the match that he's probably the best wrestler in the world. I was right. like, wait till you see this guy. And I don't know if it came across for him, especially because then he later admitted to us that he likes bigger wrestlers, just like our friend Iddings likes. <laughs> so they don't like the smaller guys. They think that lacks believability for them, which really is absurd in my opinion. <laughs> because it's just like a movie. Just you can suspend your disbelief. Plus smaller guys fight bigger guys all the time. They're right. more quick and they're agile and that to me is believable. You don't have to be a bumbling powerhouse and that's all you are. Like, you know, he was like Bobby Lashley. He was saying like, what about him? Can't you see him <laughs> in the world champ? I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> just bumbling around being like, oh I'm the champ. I have no personality. Boom, boom, boom. I don't know. I don't want to type a champ. So hopefully he liked Kenny Omega, but I don't know how that match sat with him. Yeah, I don't know. I'd have to ask him. Um, moving on to that, you, you mentioned Chris Jericho had a promo after that where he referred to Jacksonville as Jerksonville, Jackoffville, and a white trash Riviera, which of course was tremendous heel work. And as somebody who's from Florida, uh, Jacksonville does always get, as I mentioned last week, the name of being Birmingham with a beach. So not that I have any problem with Birmingham or Jacksonville, but just saying that's what people criticize Jacksonville for is not being any better than Birmingham. Not that there's anything wrong with Birmingham. Uh, so we finally got to the main event, Young Bucks versus the Rhodes. Uh, it was interesting because the Young Bucks definitely came out playing the heels in this, didn't they? Yeah, and that's kind of how they were doing it and being the elite a bit. So they were just keeping in line with that, which is understandable. But, you know, I just it's hard for me to buy C- Cody as like a pure face. He's got such heelish notes in his character. It's hard to overlook that. But of course, what makes it easy for them to play the faces was Dustin. You know, he's so beloved and respected and everything. Of course, they were going to be the faces since they're teaming together. They're brothers. They're doing it for their dad. That makes them an easy team to root for. So the Bucks really had no choice besides to play the villains. And then what's weird is after the match, the Bucks were, you know, thanking everybody and saying how great it was to wrestle against the Rhodes and how they were one of the best tag teams, which is odd because they don't really team together very much. Um, they right. have in the past in WWE, they even did a little bit, but it was just a very definitive statement for them to make, but th- they got cut off by Cody. Uh, and then Kenny came out and, and it was all very weird that they got cut off, especially because 
the BR Live app totally broadcast everything. Like Kenny Omega even said, oh, we're off the air now. <laughs> but they weren't. People told me that they heard everything that was said in the video that I had posted on Twitter. So I was like, what? They they ran everything? So why cut off the Bucks if they were already, you know, not low on time, it seems. It seems like they had plenty of time. And I know it didn't end on the hour, even after the speeches. Right. So it had 15, it was like 15 minutes to the hour. So it's like midnight. Um, so why didn't they just go to midnight then? Let the Bucks finish what they had to say. It's very odd. Yeah, it was uh, it was very uh, clunky and awkward. And, you know, uh, then, you know, the whole Kenny Omega thing, which I, I got why he didn't want to do bang since the whole thing was fight for the fallen. It was about gun violence. So he did the boing thing. But like the crowd kind of seemed confused because he was kind of rambling. It was all kind of crazy. I will I will say one thing about the match that I really liked was when they went through an exchange where they were doing each other's moves and uh, Nick hit the crossroads on Cody. I thought that was kind of a cool thing uh, in the match itself. But overall, you know, the match itself was pretty good, but I thought it could have been better. The post-match was kind of clunky. Uh, so it... It really wasn't a great show, but it was good. And, and you know, that's not bad. They're going to have good shows. Right. Not every show is going to be all right. in. Right, exactly. You know, not every show is going to be double or nothing. Right. And that's what we have to come to expect. That is a normal promotion. You know, not all of WWE's pay-per-views are great. No. It just so happens that soon after fight for the fallen wwe had a great pay-per-view actually um really good pay-per-view that actually beat aew's overall performance in my opinion and if people are new to our podcast and they haven't heard us talk before they won't think that that's a weird statement but people who have listened for a long time yeah. will think it's very weird because i'm always like anti wwe or very hard on wwe is really the more accurate description of me and my analysis because i do give them props like i will give them props today about extreme rules but yeah it's just very surprising to me that wwe actually had a great show and yeah. aew had no okay key show but again that's just the way things are going to go that's how it's going to be when you have more than one show Yep, I agree. And so we will turn the page to WWE Extreme Rules. And it was interesting to me that WWE raised their game so much because TV has been so disappointing for weeks on end here. And so for them to come out with a good pay-per-view like they did, I was really impressed. And look, I wasn't looking forward to the first match between Shane and Drew and Roman and Undertaker. And even that was entertaining. Although one thing bothered me right off the bat, I liked that Undertaker looked so good, but it shouldn't have been at the expense of Drew. Like he's dominating Drew McIntyre, who they're touting as like this this dominant kind of guy who's, you know, probably going to get a title shot at some point. And you got the Undertaker dominating him. Shouldn't Undertaker have been dominating Shane? Yes, exactly. <laughs> and, and that's really the problem with WWE right now is all the Shane stuff. But I think Undertaker, like you said, looked really good in terms of being in good shape. He seemed to move better than his match that he had against Goldberg, of course. Well, yeah. Um, so to me, it was a success because there wasn't a lot of stumbles. And I thought this match would be ripe for stumbles and mistakes and sloppiness. And there wasn't that that much of it. So that's a good thing to take away from that match. But you did, bring, you did bring up a good point during the match that Shane was overselling a little bit to help The Undertaker. 
Yeah, there were some points, actually, I forgot about that. But yes, now that you bring it up, there were some points where you could totally see Shane overcompensating and working with The Undertaker. Like, man, I could see him just uh, really jump really high when The Undertaker's supposed to lift him. So basically, you know, not have any weight for The Undertaker to carry. And that's how it's supposed to be, but it's not supposed to be so obvious. And also, like, you know, I, I forgot what The Undertaker did, but when Shane landed on the mat, he must have bounced in the air like five feet. <laughs> Not that high. That's an exaggeration. But he bounced really high, and it was way too high for the move that Undertaker did. It looked absurd. It, I don't like overselling like that. No, and then at the end, the one, like, kind of next negative for undertaker during that match was he kind of struggled to pick up Shane before the tombstone but uh overall good showing for roman and undertaker in kind of a a match that kind of came out of nowhere uh and then we got the promo for the raw reunion which bugs me in that you know it's a gimmick to get people to watch the tv show but at the same time you're coming off what was a very good pay-per-view and that's what you should be emphasizing. I I get the raw reunion and the nostalgia and look, it's probably going to be a highly rated show, but coming out of this pay-per-view, I didn't like that. Like that seems like something that they should have done a couple weeks ago or something. Yeah. I'm not a fan of it. I'm not a fan of these nostalgia shows. I think they're overplayed and overdone. Yeah. I'm sure they do it for ratings, especially when the ratings are low. This would be a great jolt to the ratings, but it's just overplayed. You've got to make stars with who you have now. You've got a great roster. Quit relying on the stars of yesterday. You know? Yep. That's, that's my opinion. And speaking of that, uh, after we had the revival beat the Usos, we had the match that I personally thought was the match of the show alistair black and cesaro uh black just now starting to begin his singles run cesaro a guy who i think has long not gotten the attention he deserves as a single star and i thought this match was the match of the show i thought it was fantastic i have to agree with you with calling it the match of the show, the only match that I really liked as much, I liked a lot of matches on the show, but I think the match that is almost equal to it for me was New Day versus, you know, Rowan and Brian versus Heavy Machinery. That was the other match I really, really enjoyed. But going back to the Black Cesaro match, it was wonderful, great athleticism. We knew it would be good. The only problem is, and this is something we knew going in, one of them had to lose. And we really didn't want either guy to lose. That's the bad thing. Like, you don't really want Cesaro to lose. Because now that he's a singles guy, he hasn't been in a long time after teaming with Sheamus for so long. They had a great tag team together. But now that he's solo, you kind of want him to rack up some wins. But, of course, you can't really have Black lose either when he's just starting out on the main roster. So you're kind of in a dilemma there. But it did provide a great match. Well, and then they double down on it on SmackDown and have a rematch, which drives me crazy right after a pay-per-view to have a rematch on TV. And they had Aleister Black beat Cesaro in even more convincing fashion. fashion. So you factor in that Cesaro also got eliminated in the Battle Royal on Raw, and you've got Cesaro losing three times basically in a week, which I hate because Cesaro is so good. That springboard uppercut that he did off the rope to Aleister Black was a thing of beauty. It was spectacular. Yeah, I have to agree. And I just, I wish he could get a singles push. They they used to say back in the day, you know, or this is what people said they said, management, you know, he's not really a 
champion type of material like you know he wouldn't get over that's not true like you you put him in the spotlight time and time again people get behind him that's the thing people love his athleticism Mm -hmm. so actually bank on that cash it in do something about how the crowd gets behind him he's not just somebody you could throw aside and have lose a a bunch of times i think he should be more valuable than that i agree and uh hopefully both these guys get title pushes um you know, Cesaro has been a good wrestler for them. And he's like, you said, the crowd loves what he does. And Alistair black is awesome. I loved the slow-mo of the black mask to Cesaro's face. I thought that was really good touch by WWE. That's slow-mo. Uh, Bailey beats Alexa bliss and Nikki cross. And probably the weakest match of the show. I would, I would argue that was followed by Lashley and Strowman in the last man standing thought this was fun to watch. N- not, technically a great match not but the stuff they did especially when Strowman throws Lashley into the international table and takes out Funaki and the entire Japanese broadcasting crew and all that it was just entertaining to watch it wasn't the greatest match but it was fun going into that match I didn't think I'd like it and I thought to myself like you know they did the thing with the the boards where they blew up and everything before, like during just a raw or SmackDown or during normal TV. Why didn't they save that for the pay-per-view? I was like, what else can they do? But they managed to do some really creative things outside of the ring. And I wound up really, really liking what they did, especially I liked when they went out to like the concourse area with like the Mm -hmm. merch table. That was probably my favorite part of the match was when they were by the merch table and stuff. Thought that was kind of cool. And it actually seemed like parts of it were brutal. Well, and you laughed because you saw in the background, like one guy tried to run in like a fan and you saw the security guy stop him at the top of the, uh, the top of the stairs. Yeah, two security guys clearly holding somebody back like they were struggling to hold somebody back. It's like somebody was trying to come up from the stairwell and break through so they could be right by the action, which I understand the urge to do that. But you can't you can't do that. No. All right. So next up was the other match that you thought was the match of the show, which I agree. New Day, Brian Rowan and Heavy Machinery. And again, Heavy Machinery has impressed me since their move to the main roster. Uh, Tucker is an unbelievable athletic big man. Uh, I did like two lines about Otis. One from Corey Graves, where he compared Otis to the Philadelphia Flyers mascot, Gritty. And then Tom said that uh, Otis was a combination of John Candy and Rhino. So <laughs> I thought those were two pretty, pretty darn funny things, but the match itself was really strong. Yeah, I really loved the match and it was great to see Woods shine again. Woods was really good in this match and it was so cool to see him win the belt with Big E because when they had the belts last time, a lot of times it was Kofi wrestling mm-hmm. with Big E for the majority of the time. So it's like, I could almost see like an extra happy look on Woods' face because it was like he really was the true holder of one of the tag belts along with Big E. It wasn't just like he was the third wheel. So it's kind of neat to see, I think. Are you sure it was John Candy that they compared yes. him? Yes, I wrote I, it down. I thought it was Chris Farley. No, no, really John he- Can- no, John Candy, I'm pretty sure. I could have sworn it was Chris Farley, but maybe you're right. We'll have to tweet Tom Phillips and get a confirmation on that or go back and watch the show. After that, AJ versus Ricochet. We knew this was going to be good. It looks like they're going to go at it again, maybe at SummerSlam. You've got two of your best guys on the roster. 
hopefully they'll let they're going to let them go even farther. But in this one, Gallo's kind of got involved, pulled Ricochet off the top, and then Styles hit that beautiful Styles clash off the second rope to Ricochet. I thought that was pretty cool too. Uh, and now AJ kind of a kind of a heel got the club back together. They're too sweet in each other, and uh, and I think as much as look AJ Styles is great. It's I'm almost happier for Gallows and Anderson that they're not just kind of afterthoughts that they're actually getting TV time and stuff now too. They should have done this a long, long time ago. It's it's a long time in coming because you know they were just not utilized. You have like all the elements of the Bullet Club there in WWE play up on that. I mean, I hate that they're ripping it off, but I mean. It kind of works. It's it's a great use of Gallows and Anderson instead of just having them be a comedy gag. You know, I'd rather see them work with AJ and get the spotlight. And that was really cool to see um, that whole persona. I, I love heel AJ. So I'm really liking what he's doing, but very surprised that they took the belt off of Ricochet so soon. I was hoping he'd get a little bit longer of a run, but I wasn't totally shocked that they put it back on AJ. And plus this gives the club a little bit of momentum now, but hopefully uh, Ricochet can bounce back and, you know, still remain in title contention. Well, let me throw this out to you because when Finn Balor comes out, they're still calling, you know, Balor club is here in long Island or whatever. Should Finn Balor join them as well at some point? Should he maybe go heel and have a full on club reunion kind of? Eventually, but I'd rather see him and AJ feud over who's in charge of the club. Oh, that'd be good. And then maybe come to an understanding and work together or vice versa. Work together. Their egos are too big for one club. Then they fight to see who really is the true leader of the club. I like it. And it really should be Finn because he's the the beginning, really. True. but you could still make it a story, even though Finn's the true beginning. It still could work story-wise. Uh, as the show went on, we had a basically a squash match with KO and Dolph, which I, I wasn't exactly a, a fan of, uh, just squash and Dolph like that. And then after that, we had Kofi and Samoa Joe, where uh, Joe smashed Kofi's hand at one point and said, who's number one now, alluding to the fact that that Kofi had flipped him off back on SmackDown. Then the crowd chanting, we want Lesnar. No, we don't, which I didn't really like in the middle of the match, uh, which, by the way, is not the first time in this past week where the crowd kind of was disrespectful to the wrestlers in the ring that happened on SmackDown with the women's match as well. Uh, Joe dominated this match, but Kofi gets the trouble in paradise, and Joe keeps losing on pay-per-views. I feel like you had to have Kofi win, though. Mm-hmm. I because agree. I really want to see him continue to be champion. I think he's doing a good job. I think he's a great babyface. A lot of people don't like the pancake gimmick still. They're very, they're getting very annoyed with it. I understand that, but it doesn't bother me as much because it's something different. I know it's not a serious champion, but I don't think everyone needs to be a super broody, serious, I'll challenge anybody. I'm, <laughs> I never have any fun type of champion i think there's a whole bunch of different variety of characters you could have as champion and kofi's a good version of one but at the same time it's like it sucks that joe keeps losing on these big shows when is he gonna get a big win and have it be consistent i want to see him be consistently dominant 
over many shows because he's that good of a talent. They've got to utilize him a little bit better, I think. Although you could argue that he doesn't really need to win to be over, but at some point he stops being a credible monster because you know deep down that he's just going to lose. So how how credible is he as a threat if they just keep making him lose and lose and lose? I, I agree. I totally agree with you. Uh, the main event was uh, Seth and Becky versus Corbin and Evans. And I got to say, I was actually surprised this was a better match than I thought it was going to be. There were some cool moments in it, especially when uh, Seth and Becky went through the tables, taking out Lacey and Corbin, especially that splash from Seth. The frog splash was a thing of beauty, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, that was really high and far, too. Like, he had to go over Becky for that. You know, well, I mean, over her on the table. Like, he right. couldn't, he had to land on the right spot or he'd land on the wrong table. So, I, right. I liked that a lot. That was great. I liked that Corbin performed his finisher on Becky Lynch. That was cool. Yeah, the end of days. Yeah. yeah. Was- it was like, man, intergender wrestling for half a second. How yeah. much did Slammiversary influence the decision to do that? I don't know, but I like I like that they did it. And I'm sure, you know, Becky, with her whole gimmick of being the man, probably really actually liked that it happened, too. I just think that it was the right move. It was really effective for the story they were trying to tell. And I went into this match thinking I would hate it. And I actually did enjoy it. I thought the wrestling was pretty, pretty good, pretty solid. Mm-hmm. And I think Seth did a good job at selling how upset he was that Becky got hurt by Corbin and he kind of got incensed and went insane. Although he did look absurd when his eyes got really, really big. It was like huge (laughs) bug eyes that his eyes were so big, but uh, it made the Lesnar cash in a little more plausible. Like, but they were like, they were acting like Becky died or something. They're like, he's emotionally devastated and, (laughs) and, and just totally spent. Like, yes, he's spent from the match, but is he emotionally devastated? Becky's going to live. She's not dead. <laughs> well, I thought it was great. And uh, I did like, uh, I got to give full credit to Lacey Evans, too. She's continuing to impress me how much how much she's getting better, too. And we'll see uh, what her future stands. So as all things end up where we had three shows we went to, four big shows in, in consecutive weekends, I think Extreme Rules actually stacks up pretty well when you put it against impact slammiversary fight for the fallen and that g1 show in dallas i i I think wwe had a good accounting for them for themselves in a pay-per-view that's not their biggest pay-per-view obviously next month's SummerSlam is their second biggest pay-per-view of the year arguably with royal rumble so i think good job by wwe here yeah they had to hold their own you know, with all these big shows everyone's talking about, everyone was hyping up these other shows. So I feel like it was a good answer to all of that. But what's interesting, actually, is uh, I can't believe I'm rating it higher than the AEW show, like I said. <laughs> but, you know, almost higher than the Slammiversary show, too. But definitely not higher than the G1 show. I mean, the G1 wrestling is at such a high level. It's insane. Like, yeah. You don't even need gimmicks for, except for with Yanu, but um, that's a good kind of gimmick to, to need and, and use. But those shows are just so good from bottom to top wrestling quality wise. I feel like no promotion can touch it really. It's amazing. But overall, yes, WWE, it stood its ground and it kind of, it hung with the big boys. 
well, yeah, I with mean, the other big shows, big boys. I mean, shows. last week we talked about, and I thought that that G one show was on the A minus B plus border, but more on the A minus side. Impact uh, Slammiversary was right there. I would put Extreme Rules just below that Impact Slammiversary show, but in the same ballpark. That I think all three shows were really good, and I think all three were clearly better than Fight for the Fallen uh, in my mind. Uh, so let's turn quickly to Ring of Honor before we uh, wrap up this first block. And they've got a big weekend of TV tapings, Manhattan Mayhem in uh, in uh, Manhattan, obviously, and <laughs> Mass Hysteria and Lowell Mass. This coming on the heels of Ring of Honor saying these shows that are TV tapings are going to be available for people to watch, which is huge because – we got some great matches. Matt Taven versus Jay Lethal, G.O.D. versus the Briscoes, Dragon Lee versus Jonathan Gresham. I mean, and, and that's just the first night. So I think good strides here by Ring of Honor. What are you looking forward to? I'm really looking forward to seeing Taven versus Lethal again because we know how fiery of a feud they have had in the past. I thought that their time limit draw match was great, so I can't wait to see them continue because they had so much hatred even at the very end of that time limit draw match that they still wanted to go after each other even though they could barely move. And they still had to be held back by people escorting them out of the ring like, that was great i thought that was great storytelling this is like a continuation of that so i can't wait to see what happens next but to uh circle back to what you said about the the tv tapings now being live streamed on honor club i think that's a huge deal because before it was just live events which is a great deal as it is but now honor you know honor club i think is even more valuable in my opinion and i think it's a good thing to invest in and i think it's a good move by them because fans have been a little down on ring of honor lately so this is kind of like a move to almost make good and to to be viewed a little bit more positively in the fans eyes in my opinion i think it's a great step by ring of honor good thinking because you have long said that one of their weakest points is that they tape tv so far in advance that no one sees it now this is a way for people to see it at as they're being taped right away. You don't have to wait for weeks for the TV. Right. So you don't end up confused by their storylines. I think this is a great thing. And I think it's going to be awesome because we'll get to see that Gorillas of Destiny Briscoes match. And then the next night we're going to get to see, as Beer City Bruiser told us a couple of weeks ago in that interview, that they get their title shot the next night in Mass Hysteria. So we don't have to wait for the TV tapings to see what happened and we'll get to see these shows uh, right off the bat. So I'm very excited about a weekend of Ring of Honor wrestling because there's some fun matches in there for sure. Yeah, it's a Ring of Honor show that I'm looking forward to. Like the card is kind of one of the most exciting to me in a long time for a Ring of Honor show. And again, I think a lot of it has to do with the God Briscoe street fight match. I think that should be epic. I, I really, really do. They really haven't had the chance to go all out in a long time. Like I thought they would have that singles match at G1 Supercard. Didn't happen. Now we get to see the brutality that I've been begging for. We did see them in Chicago, but I still think it could have been longer than what it was in Chicago. So now I think this is the chance it'll be longer. And then the next night, whoever wins goes against, like you said, the bouncers. And that's a win-win for us. It's going to be amazing no matter who wins and is in that match with the bouncers because we love all of the three. And on top of everything else, that first night in Manhattan. So it should be a great crowd. We are looking forward to that. And we're also looking forward to when we come back. We will head to Japan and break down nights two, three, and four of the G1 Climax 29, where there are some surprises. 
who's winless, who's off to a good start. We'll have it all when we come back. Two-Face Wrestling Talk is proud to be sponsored by Wrestling Travel. Check them out on Twitter at Wrestling Travel. Also go to their website, wrestlingtravel.org, to find out about all the exciting travel packages, including a travel package to All Out, which includes four nights hotel stay, StarCast Platinum Bracelet, and a lower bowl ticket across from the hard cam. They also have a very fun Wrestle Kingdom travel package, which includes round-trip airfare, five-night hotel near the Tokyo Dome, lower bowl tickets to both days of Wrestle Kingdom, and guided tours by being the Elite's fat ass masa come on who wouldn't want to hang out with masa i think that's like the coolest thing they offer you get to have some time with him meet him interact with him he'll literally be hanging with you and you'd get to be a part of the first two-day wrestle kingdom which is going to be really special in my opinion they also have travel packages to wwe events including wrestlemania 36 which you can sign up for information at wrestlingtravel.org and they've got packages to the Royal Rumble as well, plus other events too. Check out their website. There are USA travel packages, but also UK travel packages. So whether you live in the UK or where we live in the United <laughs> States, you can find something for you. Also, don't forget they've got a friendly staff that can help you out. DM them on Twitter or contact them through their website. Thanks, Wrestling Travel. And now back to Two-Face Wrestling Talk. So turning our attention to the G1, which is now in full, full effect and going to keep us very busy and keep Jackson behind you very busy watching lots of wrestling as well. But uh, as we record the show, there he is, which is, by the way, what Kelsey looks like if you're watching on YouTube as she's trying to stay awake to watch these G1s. Uh, we're recording. It's not that I think they're boring. No, I just, just get really tired. You're you're an 80 year old woman in, in a 30 year old body. Apparently, it's true. <laughs> um, so as we record the podcast, we're through night night four. So uh, if you're wa- listening to us on Saturday and wondering why we're not talking about what happened Thursday and Friday, we are recording on Wednesday night this week. So let's start with night two. And this was the beginning of the B block, and we got Juice versus Shingo. And what a great way to start things, although Juice kind of looked like he was dressed like uh, Kramer's pimp character when he came to the ring. Oh, man, I was going to say that. Yeah, I, uh, he's. you said, what do you think of Juice's new gear? And I, I literally said, I'm not a pimp, which is the Seinfeld quote from that episode. Say, but you got to say it in the high voice. I'm not a pimp. I'm not a pimp. I can't do it. I've got a magnet of it. It's great. And the reason why I didn't just say a generic pimp is because Kramer, when he's accused of being a pimp at the end of that episode, he's wearing the Technicolor dream coat. Mm -hmm. So he doesn't look like a normal pimp. He looks like a colorful Kramer pimp. I don't know. It's just more colorful than a normal pimp would be. So that's why Juice was that particular. It It was Kramer pimp, not just any pimp that he looked like. Well, Shingo continues his losing streak going back to best of Super Juniors now after being so dominant. Juice gets the win. And I, I turned to you and I asked, could you, I know it was one match in, could Juice win this whole G1? I mean, I really think that's quite unlikely, but I mean, I would like it to happen. I do think he's an A-plus player, unlike my friend John, who thinks he's a B player. 
also you have called him a B player in the, in the past. But look at the first night of the G1 in Dallas. He was super over with the American crowd. We know he's super over with the Japanese crowd. So to me, he's over no matter where he is. I really like the short hair juice. I think it's given him a little bit of an edge, a little bit of a difference. And I think they need to make a bold statement with his score this year over last year because they they basically said like he was he was in the bottom half of the G1 last year and that's when he was champion and that was ridiculous so they have got to rectify that this year hardcore i don't know if that means going all the way and winning but they've got to have him have a high score in my opinion i agree and uh he's he's in a, a bracket where you would think it would be tough especially cuz the guy he lost the US title to John Moxley also on that side, which is going to make for a great match later in the B block. Moxley going against Tai Chi, and Tai Chi, to his credit, went after Moxley in the crowd trying to get the advantage, and Moxley said, you want to piss me off? And they grabbed the table and and put Tai Chi through the table with the Urinagi and then started traumatizing Tai Chi's valet as well. Uh, So good start for Moxley. Then the surprise of night two, Yanu, beat Naito with his normal shenanigans. So. I was very happy to see that. I thought it was really unique. I mean, if if you have Yano beating someone like Suzuki, then he can definitely beat Naito. I'm okay with that. Because like I said, if he's going to go over Suzuki, he can go over Naito too. Suzuki's like one of the most brutal people ever. So to <laughs> me, it's like, it's just as plausible. And plus, it's shenanigans that do it. But it's going to lead to a discussion about Naito here in a moment. The uh, the match of night two, at least for me, and the one I was looking forward to the most, was Ishii and Cobb, and this did not disappoint. I got to say, it's probably my favorite match of the whole tournament so far. Mm-hmm. I, I was really in love with Archer and Osprey, but I think that Ishii and Cobb might have surpassed it. And also then, we haven't gotten there yet, but I, I did really like, and I'm not a huge Sonata fan, but I liked, of course, Osprey and Sonata. I thought that was really good too. But yeah, this match with Ishii and Cobb, two insane monsters just very brutally going at it. I mean, some of the chops and forearms were just insane. It was it really like cringeworthy. 40- yeah, it went on for like 45 seconds with Ishii beating Cobb in the corner. It was insane. Yeah, I I mean, I just thought it was intense. Like, that's, that's the perfect word, I think, to describe that match, intense. And we knew it would be like that. And they teased it at G1 Dallas when they had that tag match. Mm-hmm. And they, they couldn't wait to get at each other. And it just totally did not fail to deliver what I thought it could live up to. It really just surpass all of my expectations it's funny i don't know why you wrote this under this this match but <laughs> you 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 said as good as aew is new japan is better and you wrote well, that under the ishi notes well just because this match was so good and it is it's funny i want to circle back to something you said earlier in the first block about big guys and our buddy mike who went to the show with us said well, aew doesn't seem to have any like big guys and that's part of the reason i wrote this about ishii and uh cobb because this was such a great physical match and they're both really good athletes especially jeff cobb and i think as good as AEW is and is going to be i still think new japan is still a better product and and i don't think you can argue with me when you just said out of the four shows you know that we just watched over the last two weekends you said g1 was clearly superior 
to me new japan's like the holy grail of promotions in my eyes like like that's the first wrestling i got into that wasn't wwe to me it will always be like my favorite promotion no matter what aew does and and people know me as a longtime bucks fan and that's true that's still true and i of course support aew but it's like new japan still holds a superior place in my heart than aew because just the quality of wrestling and then the ring of honor is actually not far behind it either because i think their wrestling always delivers you could say what you will about their storytelling and their presentation and the way they promote things sometimes not the best but their wrestling a lot of times always delivers same thing with new japan pro wrestling AEW great wrestlers but we just need to see more and more what they're going to do and how consistent they can be in terms of wrestling quality and again you know i think what hurts it a bit is aew taking people away from new japan and from ring of honor to me that hurts my feelings towards aew a bit and that is actually the most pure thing i could say because for a long time i would just rip nxt for stealing people away from ring of honor and it wouldn't be fair of me to rip nxt and not rip aew for doing the same thing uh, honestly, I don't like that. Uh, I think that just hurts my affections towards AEW a little bit. I still think it's great. I still love everyone in it. It's not like it totally. I'm totally against it because of that. It's just it's a little, little tiny thing in the back of my mind, and I'm like, man, I just wish you know they wouldn't have screwed the promotions over. But that makes the victories of the promotions they left so much sweeter. Like New Japan having this great G1, even without all those people they took, that makes it even sweeter now. Like, wow, this might be the best G1 ever. And they don't even have Kenny Omega. That's incredible when you really sit and think about it. Yep, pretty strong. And that's why I wrote that little note uh, during that match as Ishii got the win. And then uh, the show ended with uh, Goto beating Jay White. Maybe a little bit of a surprise hitting the Yushi Kuroshi and then the uh, GTR to uh, Jay White to uh, win and ramp up the B block, uh, which was night two, then going to night three, back to the A block, which of course started in Dallas and started with two guys who won their opening matches in Dallas, Lance Archer, Bad Luck Fale. Of course, Kevin Kelly given the great stat that Bad Luck Fale wasn't pinned in the entire G1 in 2018. He either won or was disqualified, if you remember. Uh, so many of his matches had shenanigans. And this match, I thought, was really good for both guys and really on the selling of Lance Archer to be a threat to win this thing. He, he came out great, and he came out destroying the Young Lions right out of the block, which was funny. Yeah, you love when he hurts those young lions or anybody really. But uh, yeah. I I loved this match. I, I thought like you know it could suffer. Like oh, how are they going to work together? Two really big guys. Is it going to be too slow? But no, I mean Archer has insane athleticism, so I think that made up for any kind of uh, grounded pound alone. Archer can sometimes go up to the top, and he did try to, you know, he walked the ropes and then Fale mm-hmm. knocks him down. So there there was some like you know work done at the top, and that's what was really cool. I really enjoyed it, and I think it shows how serious they are about Archer, letting him yeah. go over Fale. You know, not just anybody can beat Fale, and I know, I know a lot of people do, but I feel like 
archers being taken really seriously. That's what I'm getting the gist of in this G1. Well, and I love the Fale superplex off the top rope where even the ref toppled over. It was reminiscent of when, like, the WWE a couple times has had the ring collapse and the ref falls out of the ring. That's kind of what happened on this superplex. Uh, but Archer, in something else that reminded me of another match, hits a, a shoulder charge into Fale. And these are two big dudes. But Fale goes flying, and it reminded me of a, a match that we've talked about multiple times, the Keith Lee uh, Matt Riddle, where Keith Lee shoulder charges Matt Riddle and sends him halfway across the ring in PWG. This was re reminiscent of that, but of course it was a big guy like Fale sent flying. That was insane. Like I, when that happened, I was like, what the hell? Like he's so huge, but he acted <laughs> like he was nothing. That was so great. That was a great little touch there. And you wouldn't expect that in the type of match with two huge guys, but it happened. Another great match of the tournament, I think, like I mentioned a few minutes ago, Sonata and Osprey. I really enjoyed that match quite a bit. Of course, you got Osprey winning, which needed to happen. Um, mm. And and then, actually, this has nothing to do with the match, but they actually said that he could be hurt. So they were going to determine if he could wrestle, and they have announced that he is good to go for the next set of shows, which will be old news to you guys if you're watching on the weekend because we were recording early. It just was announced, like, yesterday about him being able to still wrestle, which is really, really good because I was so upset. Like, okay, so this is Osprey's first G1, and already he might have to sit out of it. And plus, how would they... How would they work around that? It would be really difficult. So luckily, knock on wood, that it stays this way, but he's okay and good to go for now. And there was really no moment in the match where I thought he looked like he got hurt, except for one time he did grab his lower back. And I don't think it was selling necessarily. I couldn't tell. But I couldn't really spot any other moment that he could have gotten hurt no. on. No, I didn't. I didn't see it either. In fact, when you told me the next day about that, I was uh, surprised to hear about that because there wasn't any, I mean, it wasn't like his match against Marty Skrull where you knew where he got hurt, you know. Uh, there was nothing definitive there that made me think he got hurt. But he did get the win, which he obviously had to have after losing the Lance Archer on night one in Dallas. Uh, the next match was Okada and Sabre. I thought this was a really well-executed match, especially because Sabre had so many near falls early and late in this match where you you thought he might knock off Okada. Well, you know, he's done it before in mm -hmm. Rev Pro, and we watched that match, and it was great, the reaction of the British crowd when he did beat Okada. So I think there's an air of believability, especially with Zack Sabre Jr., because he already beat Okada in, like, a huge match back in England. So to me, like, that makes the near falls even more effective. And I, I really liked that match, and it's surprising to me that ZSJ has no wins, but at the same time, he really doesn't need wins to be a threat or to be a good heel or to be over. So um, I mean, eventually I want to see him get some points. But for now, he's not too damaged. He could still bounce back in the tournament. Well, speaking of guys that don't have any points, Kota Ibushi, of course, lost to uh, Kenta on night one in Dallas. And he did have that injury that was obviously kind of hurt his ankle. On night one, well, they sold that where evil really attacked it. And uh, and that was a big storyline in this match. Uh, and so evil gets the victory stomping on the ankle at one point, And he, he shoved red shoes into Ibushi. 
Uh, Ibushi kicked out of Darkness Falls, but uh, Evil followed it with everything is evil and got the win. So Ibushi, much like Saber, now with uh, two losses right to start, and another guy to start with two losses, Tanahashi. What's even more... What's even more surprising is, yes, Tanahashi has two losses, but Kenta has two wins. So he's being established as a really serious contender and somebody that New Japan is obviously investing heavily in right away. I mean, to have him go over the ace of the company is such a bold statement, really, um, because especially he was known for wrestling with Noah for so long. Just to have him go over somebody who's like a staple of specifically New Japan the promotion itself, it's just really, really intense to make that statement. Well, but it I just mean, shows you how they respect him. His first two wins are against a huge fan favorite that everybody thinks is going to win a G1 in Kota Ibushi. And then to follow that up by beating Tanahashi, I think it's a great statement for Kenta because obviously during the match they were su- selling the storyline, well, does he really belong? Is he kind of like Tanahashi? you know, was last year. And so I thought that was all interesting storytelling on Kenta. But yeah, for Kenta to beat Ibushi and Tanahashi in his first two matches, does that set him up to maybe win this block? I don't know about winning the block, but I want to see him get really close if he doesn't win, like to where it's all the way up into the end, you're still thinking he could win the block that's what i want to see him in contention the whole time because that would be a really great first run at at his first g1 uh another thing to note about we already talked about osprey but you know he had one loss one win i hope he still racks up the wins because i want him to have a good showing also like you know shingo wanting to be in the tournament but having a big loss especially um you know right away that that uh is surprising too but it's like are are they doing that on purpose because they're junior weights they're not letting them win all their matches because they technically were just coming up they don't want like the heavyweight division to seem weaker i'm not really sure but i'm sure they're just trying to remain balanced there's a whole larger storytelling angle that they're trying to do here well on night four shingo did bounce back by uh beating yano to get his first win after Yano tried to pull the Eddie Guerrero of tossing the chair to Shingo and acting like he had been hit by the chair. Uh, so Shingo gets a win. Yano gets his first loss. Juice beats Goto. And so now Juice gets his second win. And he's at four points in the B block. And then a match that I got to say I was actually disappointed in because I was looking so forward to this. Cobb and Moxley, it just seemed like a really quick match. Uh and kind of Moxley very dominant, which obviously is good for Moxley, but I didn't like that he dominated Cobb and and now Cobb's got two losses too. Yeah, I gotta say I was disappointed in the length of the match as well. I was on the exact same wavelength as you. And I didn't like on commentary how they kept talking about how Moxley didn't know who Cobb was, but he still respected him. Right. Like so Moxley's supposed to be like a cool kind of daredevil but still a babyface kind of for them in the G1. So to me, it makes him really unlikable if he's touting how he doesn't know people. Like, just because they weren't in <laughs> WWE where you came from. I don't know. Cobb's one of the greatest athletes out there right now in wrestling as a whole throughout any promotion. So to be like, oh, I didn't know who he was and like touted all and stuff. Like, dude, whatever. 
Like, you should know who he is. I know that's probably not even true that he didn't know who he no, was. Storyline-wise, I don't think it fits. They're trying to, like, make him, like, a cool baby face type of thing. Even if he's, like, a zany and uh, kind of daredevil guy, he's still a baby face at the core. And it's not a very baby face thing to say. I did love one of the things in that match when Moxley uh, was uh, pushing the five count, attacking Cobb, and Red Shoes pulls him out and... And Moxley says, I'm sorry, and bows to Red Shoes. I thought that was pretty funny. Uh, Arguably, I mean, these last two matches were both good on night four, but Ishii and Jay White, Jay White, great heel stuff, dropping F-bombs left and right. It definitely was not a PG show. And, of course, Gato was getting involved. But remember the, the shots from Ishii to the throat area of Jay White those were brutal <laughs> that was honestly very hard to watch like i said it about the Cobb ishi match but this ishi match it was also cringeworthy in a good way they were you're like whoa this is so hard to watch but it's also enjoyable at the same time but yeah the throat i was like man it's gotta hurt even if like you know he tries to kind of cushion it and make it seem more than it is it's still gotta hurt a little i mean i don't know how you soften that because it seems yeah. like it's hitting like seems like it could have been dangerous yeah yes so it's crazy but uh it seems real to me and and the jay white ddt on ishii where like ishii was on his head up and down for a good two or three seconds i thought that was a good visual and then jay white was stomping on ishii but i thought another great visual was ishii when he did the suplex off the rope and it almost looked like he jumped in the air as he performed the suplex or the superplex uh, just showing the strength vaulting off the rope. I thought that was kind of a cool uh, visual as well. Cool visual and unusual for Ishii right. to do something right. like that, like in terms of like kind of like vaulting. It's not really like Ishii. He's like a ground and pounder. So it's very, uh, very odd, but in a good way. And another thing I liked was near the beginning of the match, all the Gato stuff. Yeah. I like how Jay White was trying to get Ishii to come out. And when Ishii came out of the ring, Jay White rolls back in the ring and Ishii's like, I, I don't care. I'm just going to attack Gato then. And then <laughs> so, so Jay White's like, wait, 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 no, no. It was awesome. I thought that was some really, really cool character work. And because, you know, no one's going to make a fool out of Ishii. Ishii's going to prove victorious and dominate them. So that's a big win for Ishii over Jay White as well. I feel like the MVPs of the G1 so far for me have to be Ishii and Osprey, in my opinion. I and think Lance they both had Lance Archer and Lance Archer. Yes, you're right. That's a great one too. Uh, they have all done really, really well, and I've liked every match they've been in. So those are my MVPs. Yeah, Ishii with four points, and Jay White, one of those guys that doesn't have a win yet. So that's interesting. <clears throat> Excuse me. And now for the last match of night uh, four. I will admit I fell asleep. Yeah, I was going to say a night, a night that I will just talk about the match because at that point you were like Jackson. In fact, you uh, you and Jackson look like Siamese twins with your heads joined <laughs> as you guys were asleep. Yeah, in that picture you took. Yeah, yeah. Make, you'll, you'll have to make sure you post that picture on the YouTube so people can see what I'm talking about. You guys look like uh, conjoined twins at the head. We did. <laughs> uh fantastic match which i know is crazy to say about uh tai chi but uh just the storytelling in this match was so good and tai chi much like he did against moxley went on the attack early and he was brutalizing naito throwing him through the barricade hitting him with the chair in fact he threw him kind of into the barricade and into the announce table and i 
I think Rocky Romero actually legitimately got hurt for a second because he had to kind of leave the broadcast and Kevin Kelly's like, are you okay? And, and he's like, ah, oh, I really got my knee there. So I think there was a little bit of an accident there. And then uh, Tai Chi throughout the match, we've never seen this. He's had that iron glove from Iska and never brought it out. Never. It was just assumed that it was in the bag and he kept trying to use it and finally got a chance to use it in this match. Uh, Naito, you know, and Tai Chi both kind of got red shoes involved at one point. Tai Chi pulled red shoes into the path of the forearm from Naito. And while he was knocked out, Naito would block the mist from Kanemaru, but then Tai Chi uses the iron glove. So Tai Chi gets a big win over Naito. So, Naito, another person with huge losses, yeah. really surprising losses. Like, there's a lot of big name people with like no points right now. It's crazy. Well, that's uh, it could all change by the time people are listening to this. But in in terms of the first four nights, yeah, it's it's insane. Yeah, and I also, mean, sorry. Go, uh, go ahead. Uh, tai Chi dropped the iron glove. He's pushing me. Jackson's pushing me out off the sofa. <laughs> um. Tai Chi dropped the iron glove on the way up the ramp and they're like, oops, and they had to go get it. It was yeah. like, man, you should not be dropping that thing. <laughs> it's supposed to be important. Yes, yes. So, Naito, no points. Jay White with no points. Jeff Cobb with no points. I mean, certainly some pri- surprises as we mentioned. Tanahashi, Ibushi. And again, look, this is a long tournament. This is all going to turn, but it is a surprise through four nights to have some of those named guys with no points. Yeah, I mean, like you said, though, things could change on a dime. This tournament's going to go on a lot longer. And I really like that at the Dallas show, they gave away these cards that have the whole schedule of the G1. So we've been referring, we kept our card. It's been (laughs) super handy. We don't have to go and look on the schedule page on NJPW 1972, we just look at on our little card we got. And there's yeah. actually, I feel like there's more gaps than last year, but I could be wrong. Which I like. I like too. A but, but do you really think it's longer gaps? It, it feels like it for sure. If, I mean, to to have a uh, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and then not go again until Thursday, that's, that's a long gap. Yeah, I don't recall it being that long before, but overall, this G1 has been one of my favorites, and I've been watching for a few years now. It's been, I've always liked the G1. It's like my favorite time of year because it's really, really exciting, and it makes, uh, it makes the, you know, watching wrestling in the middle of the night really (laughs) special. Like, sometimes, like, for the final, I I usually always stay up for that. Uh, I know you said that the two main shows you stay up for were always Dominion and Wrestle Kingdom, but a lot of times I have stayed up for G1 shows, and I always kind of love doing that. It it gives it, like, a a special type of feel. Yeah, and uh, we probably will uh, after this G1 final. We may be up for that one as well. So plenty of good wrestling ahead from New Japan, and uh, plenty of good stuff with ring of honor to look forward to. And we'll also look forward to other fun stuff next weekend. We've got uh, two face goes to the movies. Is that what we're calling it? That is correct. Yes. Right. Two face well, goes to the movies. Yep. We, we, uh, we're going to try to get into that next week uh, with a little light 
after week. We've got some uh, wrestling related movies we want to get to. So that'll be fun. It's uh, funny. We-, we call it a light week, but we're still going to be reviewing the Ring of Honor shows. We're still going to be reviewing a whole bunch of G1 shows that will have happened by next week. So there's still a lot of review to do, but we're yeah. calling it light. Yeah, lighter. And we'll also announce, we're going to announce it on Twitter, but we'll also announce next week the winners of the uh, Eric Hodson special artwork. The All Elite uh, Wrestlers poster. Yes, yep. that he's been so nice to agree to give away. Yep. So we'll uh, we'll announce those on Twitter this week, and we'll uh, shout them out on the show next week. But it's time to close out the show and send them home. And uh, Kelsey, you're going to give fans something else that they ought to be on the lookout for if they haven't seen it already. Yeah, I feel like this is flying under the radar, and I really, really enjoyed it, and I wasn't expecting to because I'm not like a huge fan of his, but now I am kind of like a a lot bigger of a fan after seeing the 30 for 30 about Titus O'Neil, and I thought it was so well done. They interviewed him one-on-one, but let's paint the picture first, and I think you're the perfect person to paint the picture of the story because you covered him when he was at Florida and you're a Florida, you know, Gator graduate. So talk about your connections with him and experience actually interviewing him. And he remembered you. Yes. Well, first of all, it, it's not a 30 for 30, just to correct you on that. It's, it's I thought a, it was. No, it's on the SEC network. Uh, I believe it's called SEC storied or going home or something like that. But uh, he sits oh, down. Right. It wasn't a 30 for 30. You're right. He sits down with Paul Feinbaum, who's known for the SEC, but to, uh, give you the story. Uh, I used to work in TV in Gainesville after I graduated from the University of Florida. So I covered Thad Bullard, aka Titus O'Neill, when he played high school football, when he, when he was in Live Oak, Florida. And uh, when WrestleMania 30 happened and WWE used to give us access to interviews at Access, which is no longer the case, unfortunately, anymore as far as the interviews, uh, I saw Thad Bullard a.k.a. Titus O'Neil, and I just said to him, I don't know if you remember me, and he blurted out TV20, which was the TV station I worked at. So he actually did remember me from those days, which, I mean, at that point was like 16 years ago, but somehow he still remembered me. But he's a great guy. Um, we, we know about his philanthropic work. Uh, he's been awarded, you know, for his work as a father. Uh, he's just a great guy, but you fell in love with him even more because of his backstory too. Yeah. Like I didn't realize how hard of an upbringing he had. Like, and it goes beyond just being like poor. It's like, he could have gone and really had a troubled life, but he turned it all around. He was like at this boy's ranch and also like the story about like his birth, even, you know, mm-hmm. his mom, unfortunately, w- was raped at like 12 years old. Like she gave birth at 12. Like that's insane. Yeah. yeah. Um, It's really sad, really insane that that could even happen. But, uh, but it turns it does, into a beautiful story. It does because he didn't even know about it for the longest time. But while he was getting better at that ranch, his mom confessed to him the story. And he said that, like, you know, that changed his life, really, because he realized how lucky he was that she didn't abort him because a lot of people didn't want her to have the baby. So she went through and she had Titus O'Neil or Thad, you know, but it's just a powerful story because he said how much, like, you know, he loved her and how close they are and how, you know, he respected her for being so brave. It was just like, wow, he overcame all these things 
what a great guy. And he laughed at himself about tripping under the ring. So very uh, humble guy. Didn't mind laughing at himself about because I was wondering if they were going to mention that in the interview about tripping under the ring. And they did. And as soon as I saw the video, I laughed so hard again. I feel so bad laughing about it, but he laughs at himself about it. And it is such a funny moment. It makes me almost cry. It makes me laugh so much. But yeah, this special is great. They bring in Steve Spurrier, who I I had the privilege of covering and is one of the greatest sound bites maybe in the history of sports. It's just funny as can be. And so it was cool for me personally because they walked around the University of Florida so much and did different things. And, and you know, I think I even told you how m- different things look even from the last time I went to a game there. <laughs> Yeah, it was cool to see all that. Like, I haven't ever been there, so it was really neat to see, like, the facilities and stuff. And We're going to get you to a Gator game, for sure. Yeah, I, one day I'll have to experience that, for sure. But you know why I thought it was 30 for 30? Because we did watch a 30 for 30 the same night. Uh, we finished that, uh, what is it, the, the good, the bad, and the hungry. And it was, like, one of my least favorite 30 for 30s. Like you said, because I hate Joey Chestnut. I hate him. <laughs> I hate him. I mean, Kobayashi comes off as like the baby face hot dog eating champion. He's really, and it's appropriate <laughs> they were talking about it because they did eat hot dogs for like a wrestling belt. But yeah, I do not like Joey Chestnut. I think he's, and like everyone who was American was coming off as so mean because they were like booing Kobayashi. Like, come on, he's the one who made it really popular. Yeah. So like, I got it confused because we did watch that 30 for 30. Same night as the Titus interview. No, Kobayashi was the baby face. Joey Chestnut was the guy that's kind of coming up and trying to knock him off. <laughs> Although I didn't think Joey Chestnut was a heel per se, but he definitely uh, he had to knock uh, Kobayashi off off the uh, throne. And I thought the uh, the MC or whatever you want to call him definitely was the Vince McMahon kind of kind of evil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Chestnut just didn't have any sympathy at all. He's like, he's like, I disrespect Kobayashi for the way he walked out at first. Like, that's that's mean. <laughs> Pardon me. The dude got arrested for going up on stage and trying to still like eat the hot dogs when he wow. didn't have a contract, though. But still, <laughs> they went, went off and arrested him. And Joey Chestnut's like, I didn't respect that. Well, screw you, Chestnut. <laughs> I don't respect you and your gross eating. Kobayashi's way more eloquent at eating. Let's just yeah. say that. Yeah, okay. That was well, a long got- tangent, but I, I like the tightest thing to go back to our original. Yeah, I was going to say, we've gone on a completely different tangent. So it's probably a good sign that it's time to wrap up the show. Yeah. Uh, I will be back in New Orleans next week and we'll do uh, Two Face Goes to the Movies. We'll talk about the two ROH shows. We'll talk more G1. I'm sure there'll be some WWE discussion in there as well next week. So you'll be on the set with me? I will be. Cool. I guess that's something to look forward to. Although I the show is much better with the with a cute pop over your shoulder, and I guess. Me, and me in a, a little box. <laughs> You're actually big on the actual video oh. when I pop you up, so oh. you oh. are big sometimes. I think I think she should just zoom in on Jackson, <laughs> and that would be better for everybody. Uh, he's he's over my shoulder stretching. <laughs> He was in a bad place before you couldn't see him. Now he's like, I want camera time, but still nap somehow. And so he's getting it. But we want to thank you guys for your time, because every week we're really grateful that you choose to spend your time with us. We know it's valuable. We know there's a lot of choices out there for listening, especially for podcasts. You know, there's so many wrestling podcasts. Thanks for choosing us and giving us your time. But that's it for us this time. Until next time. That's it for us. That's the finish. 
For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.